If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 735. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. Get that 30% off on all my classes if this is November 2022. Just use that coupon code Black Friday 2022. And again, 30% off everything. It can be the bundles, it can be the single courses, it can be the most expensive course down to the most inexpensive course. You've got 30% off. So use that coupon because This is the one time of the year I'm going to give it to you. So 30% off is a great deal. And if you like the podcast, you're going to like the classes. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. You can buy some of my cool products with my logo on them. Just go to the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Of course, you can also hit the super thanks button under this video if you're watching on YouTube. That's a little hard under it. Or you can... uh, you can go to anchor.fm and subscribe there. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Give that five-star review. Leave a text review. Give a comment on YouTube. Let the videos play all the way through so more people will find the show. It's always helpful to do that. And share it around on social media. Let your friends know about the show. And send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right. Well, let's talk about... The topic, of course, the election is now over. Now I'm recording this before the election is over, so I don't know the results yet. And I said something yesterday that I, I misspoke. I said I predict the Senate to go 55 Republican. It should be 54. I really do think, I don't know where I was coming up 55. I was looking at the race, and uh, Illinois was kind of shading maybe away, but I don't know if the Republicans can pick up Illinois. So I do think they're going to get 54 seats in the Senate. I do think they're going to get about 40 seats in the House, somewhere around there. But this is all part of the problem in America. I'm talking about national politics. The slogan of the show is think locally, act locally. And our laser beam focus on the center is the real issue. Now, part of that is because of all the money involved in American politics for the center. You can't turn on the television in in the weeks leading up to the election, and months leading up to the election, and not be saturated with ads for the United States Senate, House of Representatives. You can't turn on the radio. You can't do any of that without being bombarded with ads. But why is that we focus on the Congress so much rather than these state and local races? Now, we know some state and local races have garnered a fair amount of attention. In fact, you've got uh, Obama out on the campaign trail this last week talking about that if Kerry Lake won in Arizona, it was going to be the end of democracy. And that kind of hyperbole is all over the Democrats leading up to the election yesterday. I mean, they were talking about gloom and doom. If Republicans win, it's going to be a disaster for democracy in America. I find that fascinating. Of course, it's completely preposterous and stupid, but this is what they do because they think that's the way they're going to energize their base to get their people out to vote 
fear tactics. It's not a positive assessment of what they're doing because they can't really point to anything that they've done that's really that positive at all. What it's, a, what it's doing is saying the other side is going to ruin things more than we are. Now, the same thing could be said for the Republicans in 2020. The Republicans predicted disaster if Biden won, and we've gotten it. I think that their predictions were more spot on because we know what the Democrats are going to do. I'm not so certain the Republicans have a plan if they win and if they take the House and the Senate back. Looks like they're going to. If they take the House and the Senate back, I don't know if they really have an agenda or a plan. I mentioned yesterday, we know they're going to impeach Biden. This is going to be used as a weapon, a political weapon. Now, it's one thing the founding generation worried about, that you would have impeachment used as a weapon, a political weapon against the opposing uh, faction, whatever it was. Uh, we know that they're going to start investigating the Democrats for all kinds of things. This is going to happen because, again, it's tit for tat. We're going to see this more often than not. But I don't know if they actually have an agenda, a plan, for what they would do to try to, to properly return federalism to its place in American society. That's what they should be working on. What can they do to bring federalism back? What can they do to make federalism the, the political... Uh, position of the day, right? Not an ideology, but Amer the American tradition is based on federalism. It always has been. So what can they do to bring that back? Now, what's interesting is that we've got a bunch of lovable losers out there now. And when I say lovable losers, I mean on the left. And this is something that's also a problem for the Republicans. And I'm going to talk about it in broad terms. There was an article that came out in the Atlantic asking why the Democrats cling to people like Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke. Now, I think this is going to put the nail in Abrams' coffin, at least for a time, her political coffin. I don't think she's going to be the nominee again. Uh, I, I just don't see it happening. Um, I think that uh, Beto O'Rourke is probably done as well, though I could see O'Rourke trying to get a Senate seat or something else. Like He's just trying to do this. Now, Abrams could try to do that too. She could come back. In, uh, in a couple of years and two, three, or I'm sorry, four years, I guess it would be, and try to run for United States Senate. She could come back, but I'm not so certain that Georgia and the Georgia Republic, uh, sorry, the Georgia Democrat Party will nominate Abrams for any other position. She is uh, a loser, I mean, through and through. And she, I, I believe, looking at it, is going to be trounced in this, uh, in this election. But the fact is the Democrats and the Republicans cling to losers, and they cling to losing messages. Now, why is this the case? And this piece of The Atlantic brings up all the failed candidacies in American history and how popular these people became. You know, William Jennings Bryan, for example, ran and ran and never won. He was a lovable loser. Uh, he was Secretary of State in the Woodrow Wilson administration and resigned when Wilson became much more of a war hawk than what Bryan thought. But he was somebody that ran and ran and ran and never won. Henry Clay, the lovable loser. Now, Clay, of course, was an important United States senator. But in terms of, at that point, you were, you were selected by your state from the state legislature to serve in the Senate. It wasn't a campaign. When Clay tried to run for president, he lost all the time. So again, another lovable loser. In fact, there's a book out. Uh, the title is They Also Ran. And it's about these failed presidential campaigns from you know the people that that lost, what would they have been like as a president? It came out in the 1960s, and you had people like Adelaide Stevenson in it, of course, Henry Clay, and many others. What would these people have been like had they won the presidency instead of the other guy? 
1844 example. What if Henry Clay had actually won in 1844 instead of James K. Polk? What would have America looked like? Would we have had the Mexican War? Would we have acquired the Mexican Cession? What would have happened had Clay won the election? Um, and then you have many others, too. I mean, there's all kinds of what-ifs out there, but they also ran. If you're looking at a, uh, an interesting book, I don't agree with the author's conclusions about a lot of things, but certainly um, it's an interesting topic, to say the least. So we have all these, these losers, and the Republicans have their own slate of losers, right? I mean, look, Sarah Palin loses with John McCain and becomes a more popular person because of it. And you could say that about a lot of people in, in politics. People that lose become more popular. And the question is why? And for years, the Republicans ran on gutting Roe v. Wade, right? They were going to get Supreme Court justices that were going to gut Roe v. Wade. And I was skeptical of this. I, I, I'm, I'm say it. I, on this podcast, I said it's never going to happen. I did not believe the Supreme Court was ever going to overturn Roe v. Wade. They did it. And you see the chaos that's created in the Republicans. Why? Because they didn't expect it to happen. They never expected it to happen. Not Republicans in Congress. Now, I think maybe the grassroots Republicans, people at the state level, they applauded this. They thought it would happen. But I really think the establishment class never thought it would happen because they never thought the Supreme Court would go in that direction. They're just like them, establishment. And when you don't have it anymore, you can't raise money on that issue. Obamacare. The Republicans ran against Obamacare for years, right? For years. We're going to get rid of Obamacare. We're going to gut Obamacare. We're going to change Obamacare. Well, Donald Trump's elected president in 2016. The Republicans control the Congress for two years, and Obamacare is still in place. Why? Because they run on things never expecting to win. I don't think they really believed Trump would win. I thought that I think the Republican Party generally believed Hillary Clinton would win. And so if Hillary Clinton won, well, then there's no... They can, they can pass all kinds of legislation uh, getting rid of Obamacare, but they know it's not going anywhere. But as soon as Trump's there and he says, look, I'll sign a law that would, that would change Obamacare, they don't come up with anything. Why? Because that's not what they want to do. They want to run as the opposition and then never do anything when they get there. Now, the Democrats will do stuff. However... I don't know if the Democrats outside of the very far left are as committed to these things as the people on the left. Uh, and look, Joe Biden, here's what's going to happen. Republicans take Congress. Joe Biden is going to triangulate. He's going to take a page from Bill Clinton, and he's going to start trying to take credit for things that are conservative. One of the things Clinton did in the 90s, and if you weren't alive in the 90s, if you listen to the show, or you don't really remember much of the 90s, Republicans take the House in 1994. They come into office in 95. And they promise all kinds of things. Of course, not much of it happens. The things they do get through, like welfare reform or uh, some of the other parts of the contract for America, uh, the, the Democrats, and namely Bill Clinton, claim as their own because Clinton said, look, I passed welfare reform. I was the one that signed all that into law. I did all these things. Because Clinton wanted to take credit for things so he could run again in 1996 and win. And it was exactly what happened. Clinton was able to say in 1996, I did all this stuff. Why do we need Bob Dole when you got Bill Clinton? And plus, if we had Bob Dole, it would be even worse. I'm able to, to minimize the impact of the Republican Party. And I think that's actually going to play into Joe Biden's hands. 
This is what I caution those who are celebrating a massive Republican victory. I think, in some ways, this is going to be a disaster for the Republican Party. Now, I'm going to talk about the Democrats and Republicans tomorrow and how much, how different are they, if really much, much difference at all. But I think it's going to be a disaster for the Republicans for this reason. They won't be able to campaign against the Democrats much anymore. They will control Congress. Now, they can always blame Joe Biden for not getting anything done. And I do think they're going to try to pass some legislation that Biden will veto. Biden will veto it, or it'll be watered down, or Biden will do something to take credit for it. And this will lead to a Democrat, I'm predicting it now, this will lead to a Democrat victory in 2024 for the White House. I Look, I don't know if Trump is going to uh, make it through the next two years unscathed legally. I think the Democrats have it out for him too much. The Department of Justice is going to really try to, to nail him down uh, and go after him, particularly with the Republicans controlling Congress. Then it falls on the executive branch and the Justice Department to go after Donald Trump. And I think they're going to. And I'm not so certain he's, he escapes unscathed from that. And I don't know if the Republican Party is going to want is going to want Donald Trump as its nominee. I do think Joe Biden, even though he's an awful candidate, is going to run again. Uh, I could see a path for Joe Biden winning. That's if he can take credit for some things the Republicans are going to do and, uh, and then triangulate as Bill Clinton did in 1996. Republicans are going to splinter. I think that there's going to be, you know, there's going to be an establishment candidate, someone like uh, someone like uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Grant Cheney, right? She's going to she's going to try to run. There are establishment, particularly if Trump runs, there are going to be establishment Republicans that try to form their own party. I think that the populist Republicans are going to kind of splinter off into their own thing, and we're going to potentially see a pathway again for Joe Biden to win re-election. Now. Some things could happen, and Biden could not win. What the Republicans, the, the best thing for Republicans would be that Biden does not be is not able to take credit for much of, much of anything, and they can just continue to blast Biden, and that Biden would be the nominee, and they pick a, a candidate, a, a Republican, that doesn't have as much baggage as Donald Trump. Now, I've said again on the show, I don't think Ron DeSantis is the guy. I think that Ron DeSantis is a better governor than he would be as president. Uh, but that's just my opinion. The Republicans are going to be looking for somebody. And uh, I, I, look, DeSantis is going to be the hot name. I'm not so certain he's going to be the guy. And I don't even know if 2024 would be the best opportunity for DeSantis. If you want DeSantis, I think maybe 2028 would be better for DeSantis. But regardless, uh, and that's if the Republicans don't win in 2024. Now, if, if Joe Biden wins again, DeSantis would be a better candidate on a clean slate, meaning there's no incumbent. I think that he would do better in that position than if he was running against somebody uh, with, a, with a track record. Um, I just think he would do better. So regardless, the lovable losers thing, right? Why do we like lovable losers? Why do the Democrats keep going back to Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke and all these people? And why do the Republicans do the exact same thing? Well, this piece... Uh, the title is Democrats Keep Falling for Superstar Losers. And I, I want to get to the end of the piece. Uh, because I think this is, I think the author of this piece, it's uh, the author is Jacob Stern. 
does a good job in summarizing why it seems like these major parties keep going out and rallying behind these people that really have no chance of winning. Because they don't have to. And the people running, even if they know they have no chance of winning, are doing it for their own career. So he says, even though Abrams and O'Rourke have been helpful to their party, the golden age of superstar loserdom is closely tied to our current era of what Azari has called weak parties and strong partisanship. For one thing, vilification of the opposition allows challengers to especially despise candidates to quickly become household names. Aha! So the candidates themselves look at this as an opportunity to make money, to form political power, for whatever that is, to form nonprofit organizations or other political groups to again enrich themselves at the state and local level. They do this because of name recognition and star power. Even in extreme long-shot races, donors have shown a willingness to pour vast amounts of money into these boondoggles. Now again, why? Because, and and why would candidates do it? Why would they go in a long shot? Because, hey, it's going to make me a name. I can go on... CNN, I can, if you're a left, leftist, I can go on CNN, I can go on MSNBC, I can go on NBC and ABC, I can go on CBS, and I become someone who is a household name that the media will turn to for whatever reason, and that keeps me in the spotlight, and I can sell books, or I can get involved in doing something else politically. I'll never forget when Biden had Stacey Abrams on, and she really thought she was going to be the nominee for vice president. And Biden says, well, I have a great, you know, I have a lot, of, and you can see her face. I have a lot of this. And when he didn't say, I'm going to nominate Stacey Abrams as vice president, her whole demeanor, uh, she let out a big sigh and her whole demeanor changed. That was the key right now to understanding who Stacey Abrams is. She's a hack. She's a power-hungry charlatan who will say anything to gain power. Even if it means that you've got her on record saying one thing and then she says another another thing, to try to get votes. She doesn't care because, again, no one really holds these people accountable. The voters can by not electing her, but the left will never do it. The mainstream media will never do it. They'll never call her out for this stuff. So it works quite well for her. Same thing with O'Rourke, who's not really even Beto. He's an Irishman, right? I mean, Beto is some stupid made-up name that he came up with to try to appeal to Hispanic voters in Texas. Uh, The piece says McGrath burned $90 million on the way to her 20-point loss. Harrison raised $130 million in his Senate race and fared only slightly better. In his contest against Ted Cruz, O'Rourke raised $80 million, including $38 million in a single quarter, the most of any Senate candidate in history, all to no avail. Whether because they outperform expectations or because of what they're up against, these candidates and their supporters are then able to frame the losses as moral victories. Sometimes, as for Abrams supporters, that means framing a defeat as the outcome of an unjust system. Right. This is a rigged election, an unjust system. This is voter suppression when everyone with eyes can see that none of that actually happened. None of it happened. We, I, mean, I just talked about this on Monday. Biden is saying we have voter suppression, yet we have record voter turnout at this point. How is that suppression? Anybody can go vote that wants to. This is ridiculous. These charges are ridiculous, but you know what? They work for the base because it it gets people upset. It's like democracy is going to end. 
Michael Bischloss is out there last week saying that, well, if we, we don't vote for Democrats, we have six days left in our democracy. These people are absolutely insane. It's clown world. 100% clown world. But this is what we have, right? Other times, as for O'Rourke, O'Rourke supporters, that means framing an unexpectedly good performance in an unfavorable state as a sign of things to come. Well, we got to keep fighting. We got to keep raising money because you know what? Texas is going to turn blue. It's just right on the cusp. Georgia is going to turn blue. It's right there. What these Democrats don't realize in 2020, the reason, or 2018, now Abrams got pretty close to winning that election. Why? Because they had out-hustled the Republicans. The Republicans in Georgia are pretty stupid. The Republicans are the dominant party in Georgia any day of the week. But the Democrats had figured out ways to game the system. And Stacey Abrams' sister, as a judge, was able to try to work this as well. They had figured out ways to game the system. And by gaming the system, I mean things like ballot harvesting. Look, it's, it was all legal. So what the Republicans did is say, okay, we're going to cut out some of these things that you can use that would be unethical. You can still vote all you want. They haven't made it to where you can't vote. But we're going to make it to where uh, those kind of things are going to be much more difficult to do. So, as a result... The Democrats are probably, I mean, look, I think it's all intent. They're going to get trounced. Uh, last time I saw, you know, Abrams was down by like seven or eight points in Georgia. That's huge. Uh, I don't think uh, when it's all said and done, Warnock is going to beat Walker. The only reason Warnock won is because the candidates that, that they had in Georgia in 2020 were awful. I mean, they were awful. Kelly Loeffner, she was terrible. I mean, just an absolute absolutely terrible candidate. You know, Purdue, these people were awful. And so, uh, you know, Ossoff was able to ride Warnock's coattails because Warnock was kind of the, the more preferable candidate for the left from the two. But I, I don't think Warnock is going to win in Georgia. I don't think he will. And so uh, now... Uh, this idea that Georgia is turning blue is a complete farce. It's only turning blue if you can game the system. Republicans have figured out how to play the same game. And so, therefore, they're not going to allow it to happen anymore. And that's why you're going to see the Democrats lose in Georgia. The same thing with Texas. I don't think Texas is going to turn blue anytime soon. You have pockets of Texas that are blue. You have pockets of Georgia that are blue. But the state going the other way? No, it's not going to happen. Not anytime soon. But again, this is what the piece points out. Well, we've, we're right there on the cusp. We can win. Republicans have done this stuff for a long time too. Just get us into office and we'll get rid of Obamacare. Get us into office and we'll get rid of Roe v. Wade. Get us into office and we're going to do all these things. And when it actually happens, they don't know how to respond. They're scrambling around, coming up, trying to... When the Supreme Court actually undid Roe v. Wade, which, by the way, they had advanced this was going to happen. They should have had a press release ready to go explaining what they were going to do. They shouldn't have been out there scrambling around trying to figure out what was going to happen. They knew it was going to happen. And still, they didn't know what to say about it. They didn't know how to react to it. It was a victory for federalism, and that's all they should have said. If you live in California, nothing has changed for you. If you live in conservative states, yes, things have changed in those states that reflect the political culture and the values of those states. And this is the beauty of federalism. If you don't like it, you can move. Now, Democrats don't like it when you say those things, but this is exactly what you can do. And Republicans can do the same thing. If you don't want to live in a leftist nightmare in California, get out. 
leave. Now, I, I know it's easier said than done for a lot of people. But look, there's a reason why people actually ended up here from Europe because they didn't like where they were. It was hard, so they left and they came to the United States. We don't expect any anybody to do that anymore. That's just not an option for some people. I mean, that's how they paint it. He says, this perhaps is one reason superstar loserdom has so far skewed Democratic political scientists uh, told me. Democrats desperately want to take advantage of some red states that have been trending purple. Or perhaps the disparity is a product of our post-Trumpian moment. Or perhaps something else entirely. Right? So this is why Democrats, are they, they're, they're loserdom, right? They're, well, we're turning this around. We're turning it purple, which they're really not. They're not at all. For now, polls suggest that things are not looking great for either O'Rourke or Abrams. Superstar loser status, it seems, does not easily convert easily to, into electoral wins. Still, this is likely far from the end of superstar loserdom. Both Abrams and O'Rourke emerged during the 2018 midterm cycle when Democratic voters, energized by opposition to Donald Trump during the 2018 midterm cycle, um, energized by Donald Trump, sorry, turned out in large numbers to break Republican stranglehold on Congress. This year, Republican voters energized by opposition to Joe Biden will probably turn out in large numbers to break Democratic majority in Congress. This election could produce Republicans' answer to Abrams and O'Rourke. But John James, the Michigan conservative, has made two failed bids for the Senate and was the one contemporary Republican superstar loser political scientists mentioned to me, seems poised to win his congressional race this year. A meaningful defeat may be the most Abrams and O'Rourke can hope for, not so much superstar losers as losers with legacies. But losers have a special utility, he says. Winners have to deal with the unglamorous minutia of actual governance. This is where I caution the Republicans. I said this. Once they're in, what are they going to do? And when they don't do anything, because they won't, and the voters put them there to do something about 10% inflation, and inflation doesn't come down, now the Republicans will start pointing fingers back at Joe Biden. We did stuff. We tried to do stuff. When inflation stays up, and they don't have anything, will voters turn on the Republicans? Or will they take that out on Joe Biden and the Republicans can say, get a Republican president and we'll do something about this. And then when they don't do anything, then what's going to happen? Because a prediction, I think a safe prediction, is that they won't do anything. Not what's really required. He says they have to figure out how to translate campaign promises into concrete policies. They make mistakes and people get disillusioned and approval ratings decline. Losers are spared these indignities. Politically speaking, they don't survive long enough to let anyone down. Unsullied by compromise, losers can be made into lodestars. Look at Goldwater or McGovern. Everyone, it turns out, can get behind a lost cause. So because they're out, they actually are more powerful than when they're in because they don't have to deal with the consequences of being wrong. That's what the pieces. I think. I think it's one hundred percent true. The Republicans are going to find this out. The Republicans are easily going to find this out because I don't think they're going to fix anything at all. Um, I think that we're going to still see high inflation, a poor economy. Now again, they can pin it all back on Biden. If you just had a Republican in there, if we just had Donald Trump back, things would be better. But we know Donald Trump was behind shutting down the government. He was or shutting down society, in other words. He was behind a lot of the stuff that happened during COVID. He was, right? Now, he did say, well, the state should be handling most of this. And Biden, when he gets into office in 2021, says the exact same thing. 
But Trump was certainly behind massive spending and all kinds of things as the government shut everything down. So I'm not so certain the Republicans are going to have the answers, but we do love our beautiful losers. I mean, in fact, conservatives have been called that for years, beautiful losers. They just like to lose, and they like to lose because it allows them to raise money. It allows them to go sit at Heritage Foundation or some other think tank, uh, Claremont, and it allows them to raise money on losing, saying that they're going to do X, Y, and Z if they're just in office and we're going to change everything. It allows them to write policy papers and position papers. And then when they get to Washington, D.C., as they did in 1995, nothing changes because they like the power and the establishment just as much as the Democrats do. And they realize that changing these things might actually interrupt their own power and cause problems for themselves. So they don't want to do anything. They don't want to change anything in Washington, D.C. That's, the, that's not the dirty little secret. It's the, it's the open secret. It's just that voters haven't really gotten on board with this idea yet that they don't matter. What really matters is the state and local elections, even though Abrams and O'Rourke are you know, going for local elections, state elections. What really matters are those elections, not who wins in Congress, because the states still have all the power in this federal republic, and that if the states actually exercise that power, we would see a lot different central authority. It would not have the ability to do what it does if the states would just stand up to it. That's thinking locally and acting locally. All right. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to have a talk tomorrow about uh, the differences in the parties and how there isn't really much of a difference and why. It's really interesting. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.